Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Alicia. We are continuing today our summertime season 15 Hall of Fame. I'm really pleased as pie about season this one today. Season of all stars. Holy cats. Who do you have for us today, Alicia? Rue McClanahan. Yeah. She's not from Atlanta, but we'll go ahead and claim her in oh, our yeah. messy trash candy. Rue, well is a legend. Mm-hmm. Six times down the aisle, five divorces, and many, many other men in between. Which she was quite open about in her memoirs. <laughs> Called Every Man I Ever Slept With. Just kidding. That's not the name of the book. Rue McClanahan, super sassy. I really had to use Taylor Swift's Don't Blame Me from her Reputation album for this one. It's our theme song, which we can't actually include in our episode. No, but that's what I thought about when I was writing it. Don't blame me. Love made me crazy. If it doesn't, you ain't doing it right. Feel that way about Rue McClanahan. I feel that way about Trash Candy, too. Give it to me. This week, we've had a few fine folks who feel the same way who joined us over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Those folks showed a little extra love for the podcast, and in return getting ad-free episodes and bonus content out the wazoo. Stacy, we have a thousand episodes over there. Wow. Over a thousand. Wow. Who dipped into the uh, trash candy this week that we can find in our magic mirror? Thank you so much for joining us. Allison D, Lauren F, Darianne R, and Lisa L. And Sandy R, too, for your continuing support. All y'all rock. Thank you to our new and existing Patreon supporters, you, All of y'all are the magic of this podcast, and we are so grateful to each and every one of you. And you for tuning in today. I'm excited about this one. We should waste no time at all giving Rue McClanahan her trash candy honors. Definitely. We should go, go, go. So, Alicia, your all-star for us this week is truly golden. What a gem. What a legend. Rue McClanahan, y'all. Woo! There's a lot to say about Rue, and we're going to get into it now that she is being inducted into the Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame. Such an honor. (laughs) (laughs) I think she'd kind of get a little bit of a kick out of it. I think she would. Quite frankly. Yeah, I've read bits and pieces of her autobiography. Wow. Called How I Slept With Everyone? Yeah. It's not really the name of the book. It's basically (laughs) called All the Dudes I Slept With. Sources all can be found at TrashyDivorces.com, even though that is not the name of her memoir. (laughs) I don't want to waste any time. Let's get into it. Okay. Born Eddie Rue McClanahan in Hilden, Oklahoma. Wow. Eddie Rue. Eddie or Edie? Eddie Rue. Hold on. Okay. February 21st, 1934. Rue's parents are of Irish and Choctaw heritage. And her she gets her unusual name from her parents' middle names. Edward, Eddie, and Ruinell. Okay. Well, Eddie, all right. Eddie Rue. See? So... They had a naming setup that was going to work for whatever gender that kid popped out as, right? Well, Rue decides to drop the Eddie mm-hmm. when the government mistook her for a male and sent her a draft notice when she finished high school. Eek. So Eddie is now gone and it's just Rue. 
which is fantastic. I can just imagine Rue McClanahan like in the Korean conflict. Showing up. I'm here. <laughs> After high school graduation, Rue goes to the University of Tulsa and earns a degree in, surprisingly, German. Interesting. Interesting. Rue's then off to New York City to study at the Metropolitan Ballet School. While there, she decided to take acting classes and studies with the legendary Uta Hagen. Fantastic stuff. What a well-rounded person. So she's a German scholar, a ballerina. And an actress. And an actress. Mm -hmm. Okay. Rue makes her stage debut in Inherit the Wind. This is while it's playing in Erie, Pennsylvania. After her success on stage, like so many others before her, the acting bug has bit, and she realizes that that is, in fact, the career she wants. At this point, Rue will move to Los Angeles and study at the Pasadena Playhouse. We talked about that a whole bunch in our series, and during her time there, Rue will play Blanche Dubois in a revival of Tennessee Williams' A Streetcar Named Desire. 1960s are big. Rue has roles in a series of movies and Broadway plays, which will launch her into the world next of daytime soap operas, where Rue plays an evil nanny on another world. I know. Prior to Golden Girls, which I think more currently we probably all know her more famously from, Rue was best known for her roles as Vivian Harmon on Maud from 1972 to 1978 and Aunt Fran Crowley on Mama's Family from 82 to 84. But Rue's been a prolific actress with a long Hollywood career. At the time of her death, Rue McClanahan had been in 54 movies and 63 television shows. Wow. She'd been nominated for four Emmys and three Golden Globes and had won one Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in a comedy series for her role on Golden Girls. Fine and good. None of that's messy. (laughs) It's her personal life where it gets a little messier, gets a little rockier in total, which is why Rue McClanahan is now being inducted into the Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame. She would marry six times... With five divorces. Congratulations. In her book, All the Men I Slept With. I'm just kidding. In her book, she will describe her men as, quote, hot dudes and duds. She will go on to explain she had so many marriages because she was raised to believe that you didn't live with a man without the benefit of a ring on your finger and a marriage license in the drawer. Rue McClanahan said, people always ask me if I'm Blanche. Well, Blanche was an oversexed, self-involved, man-crazy, vain Southern belle from Atlanta, and I'm not from Atlanta. (laughs) Sassy. Mm -hmm. Sassy, messy. Mm -hmm. I love her. Don't blame her. I'm happy to make her an honorary Atlantan if if that is what she would like. (laughs) Love made her crazy. If it doesn't, you ain't doing it right. Let's meet husband number one Mm. and get into it. This guy is Tom Bish. Rue's first marriage was with a fellow stage actor named Tom Bish. She started dating him in 1957, and the couple will meet after Rue moves to New York to pursue her acting career. Tom was in the first theater production that Rue had a role in. So her, Ah, young love. Her name for a while was Rue Bish. Rue Bish. Mm-hmm. It wasn't long after the couple began dating that Rue becomes pregnant. Mm. With her traditional upbringing and it being the 1950s, the couple quickly gets married February 2nd, 1958. 
On her wedding night, she opens up her suitcase and out falls a ton of rice and a pair of oversized red with white polka dot pajamas. The light black nightgown that she had packed was not there. And for decades, she blamed her sister for this mix-up, but almost 50 years later, her sister told Rue that it was actually their mother that had played the trick on Rue on her wedding night. So she sent her daughter off to her first night of marriage. Ugly pajamas. Mm -hmm. With decidedly unsexy clothes and... Kept it a secret for five decades. Loose leaf rice. (laughs) (sighs) Tom and Rue will move to Houston. Tom gets a part in a production of The Merry Widow. But it is not long before Tom Bish withdraws and Rue knows that her marriage is in trouble. One night she asked him what was wrong and he said, Ah... The words that'll break you. I love you, but I'm no longer in love with you. Yikes. Mm. Rue's devastated. Rue's terrified. She doesn't know how she'll raise a child on her own. Over the next few months, Rue falls into a deep depression. She panics about her future. We'll try to get Tom to fall back in love with her. Sure. Tom does not fall back in love with her. He continues to pull away and becomes verbally abusive. Eventually, Rue will pick up the phone and call her mama to come pick her up and bring her home for that last month of pregnancy so she could deliver the baby in Oklahoma with her family. Mom, you got to get me away from this bish. Rue goes into labor and will use a payphone at the hospital to call Tom to let him know that the baby was on the way. Tom does not care. Tom does not come to be with her. He's kind of a bish. Properly labeled. Poor Rue. After giving birth to her son, she begins to cry. She can't stop. She cries for two days. She becomes despondent. Eventually, the doctor will call her husband, Tom, and tell him he needs to come to the hospital. So Tom agrees for Rue's mother to come pick him up in Dallas. Tom isn't really showing himself to be a great dude here. No, he gets to Rue's room. And he says, oh, Rue, I've made a terrible mistake. Can you ever forgive me? I love you. And Rue replies, Tom, of course. Of course, I forgive you. I love you, too. And she thought it was a miracle, just like a fairy tale. Does the fairy tale happen? No, because the next day he leaves and she will never see Tom Bish again. That Bish lied. Really? Just he just splits. Wow. She comes home from the hospital. She'll begin writing Tom and sending him pictures of the baby. No response. After six weeks of daily letters, no response, but weeks and weeks of, here's a picture of your Mm -hmm. baby. She'll finally write and said if he wanted her and their son, Mark, he didn't have to let her know. But if he wanted a divorce, he should send the pictures back. A few days later, Rue goes to the mailbox and got the returned photos with no note. That's just, that's terrible. terrible. That That is a terrible story. She will begin divorce proceedings, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And Tom said he would agree never to bother her for custody or visitation, as long as she didn't ask for any alimony or child support. Stunned. Now, I'm stunned. And she married... Four more times? Five more times? Oh, yeah. Jeez. Love made her crazy. Mm-hmm. The divorce does require six months and would be finalized in May 1959. So think about that. They get married February 1958, May 1959. 15 months. In and out. Now with a kid. 
Later, Rue will tell people that the end of her first marriage was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. It was so disillusioning. Yeah. That's one. Got a few more to go. Second marriage. God, that bish. It really was a bish. Rue's second husband had been in her life even before meeting Tom Bish, her first husband. This guy's name is Norman Hartweg. The two had been best friends prior to Rue even meeting Tom, right? Rue had considered marrying Norman Hartweg earlier, but she loved him really only as a friend. So Norman, complicatedly, has a first marriage at the same time as Rue with a girl he had also gotten pregnant. And since both of those marriage happened due to pregnancy, Norman's marriage didn't really work out well either, surprisingly enough. Rue gets back in touch with Norman, and their strong friendship naturally makes her feel safe and secure. Norman is in the army. He's stationed in Denver at the time, but the two write each other letters all the time. He comes to Oklahoma to visit her and Mark during his Christmas leave. When he was home, he saw how good she was with her son and really wanted to make a family for her and the child. Rue decides she and Mark would move to Denver to be with Norman. She finds a dance studio in Denver where she can teach classes. And then Rue tells her mom of the plan. And her mother says, Eddie Rue, if you're going to live in the same city as Norman, I want you to marry him. That seems like a very normal mother reaction and not unreasonable at all. Well, Rue tries to explain that the two were discussing getting married eventually, but they just started dating. And her mother interrupted her and said firmly, I want you to marry him. Her mother basically forcing Rue to get married wasn't the worst part of this scenario, however. Because Rue is still in the six-month waiting period after filing divorce from Tom. Mm, Despite her divorce not being finalized until May 1959, Rue McClanahan marries Norman Hartweg at a Justice of the Peace in April 1959, the month before. Dun-dun-dun. Bigamy. The justice's wife served as the witness and took a Polaroid of the couple. Rue kept that picture and in her memoir, really called My First Five Husbands and the Ones Who Got Away. She said they looked happy, much like smiling travelers waving from the deck of the departing Titanic. (laughs) She really is uh, a gifted writer. Well, nothing really dramatic happened during this marriage. The two are really good friends and eventually realize that neither one of them is in love. They end their marriage in 1961. But since Rue was technically not legally divorced yet from her first husband when they met, a judge told her an annulment was sufficient to end her union with Norman. Rue and Norman remain friends for the rest of their lives. Excellent. Perfect. It's all good. It's a little segment of the story I like to call nude art. While in California, Rue is needing to make a little cash to study at the Pasadena Playhouse, and Rue takes a job as a nude model for aspiring artists. There was a decrepit old hotel on the beach in Venice, California, where artists would gather to sketch and work on their craft, and they would hire nude models at $2 an hour, which at the time was twice the minimum wage. Hmm. Rue figures it'll be fine because it's for art. Sure, I'll pose nude. It's cool. So she goes to observe the artist sketching other nude models and realizes, like, I could definitely do that. And because of my dancing background, I can hold a pose for a Mm -hmm. long time without getting tired. 
So the next day, Rue goes back for her scheduled modeling shift. Writing about walking up on the stage, she says, I dropped the robe nonchalantly off my shoulders, strode center stage, naked as a jaybird, and struck a pose. The students bent intently over their sketch pads. Attempting to relax, I breathed lightly, not moving a muscle, and tried not to wonder if they were all noticing how small my breasts were. When her hour-long shift was over, she received two crisp, lovely $1 bills and was asked to come back. Meanwhile, though, Rue's still looking for jobs in acting or dancing, and when she finds one, she informs Randy. Of course, his name is Randy. He's the artist guru who organizes all the nude art sketching sessions. And Rue's like, hey, Randy, I found a steady job. I'm not going to be available anymore. And he said, I'm sorry to lose you. Will you at least share a farewell glass of wine with me this evening? The lobby won't be available, so come to my room in the basement of the hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sound sketch. Your room, asked Rue. Third cubicle on the left, replies Randy. Oh, my. Rue writes, hmm, a farewell glass of wine, huh? He'd always behave professionally, so... Oh, who am I kidding? This had all the earmarks of a real beatnik experience. A one-time, far-out, unheard-of piece of audacity. Strictly sex. But dare I? Dare I? Did I dare? Oh, I dare say I did. (laughs) When she arrived, the third cubicle on the left was a mattress surrounded by candles. Randy appeared, drained his last swallow of wine, and said hi, and jumped me. (laughs) Wow. Was this beatnik foreplay? I'd never been jumped before, and I'd never had sex like that before. In fact, I felt liberated. I was getting a fast course in a brand new area, pure sex. Later, reflecting on the experience, McClanahan writes... I not only learned to hurdle myself enthusiastically into boisterous sex, but had found the courage to pose nude. I'd still give Randy a solid A. (laughs) All right, then. On that solid A with two of the six marriages done. Sure. Now's a great time to take a break. Hear from our sponsors this week. When we come back, we will get into the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth marriage. We'll see you on the flip. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making just keep a, it simple. Uh, I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, "Hey, we're the Brav Bros, two guys that talk about Bravo." Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No, oh, dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, "Oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo," people are gonna get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Rob bros. Good job. The ladies of the Oak Tree Group are celebrating our All-Star Season 15 with this PSA inspired by Smash Mouth. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid. Getting paid is only half the battle. The amount you keep and put to work for you makes the difference in your life. All that glitters is gold. Only shooting stars break the mold. And even the stars need some help every now and then. The three financial strategists of the Oak Tree Group know all about breaking molds. 
Yep, what a concept. I could use a little fuel myself, and we could all use a little change. Take advantage of their free one-hour consultation offer. Fuel up on the power of knowledge and see the change you can bring into your financial world. Well, the years start coming, and they don't stop coming. Hey, it's never too late to start making more informed decisions about your financial matters, but the years do fly by before you know it. That's right. You'll never know if you don't go to www.theoaktreegroup.net for more information or call 770-319-1700 for your free one-hour consultation. That phone number again is 770-319-1700. You'll never shine if you don't glow. All right, Alicia. So... The future Rue McClanahan has discovered boisterous sex and beatnik foreplay. (laughs) What's next? All good stuff. We got a third marriage, you know, coming up. So after the second one ends, Rue moves to New York to work as a stage actress. She will begin dating an actor named Peter DeMeo. They meet performing in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Rue, though, taking her time. She's not racing as quickly to the altar. She will date Peter DeMeo for three years before they get married in 1964. But there's one that got away, but not really in between this. So Rue actually almost marries this other man before marrying Peter. She's so attracted to him, she only refers to him as the Italian. And says that again, she made a bad choice. It didn't hurt that she admits the sex they had was amazing. She'll have her first orgasms with the Italian But there is an urgency to Mary that hits Rue when she gets a letter back from her sister in Oklahoma because Rue had left her son in Oklahoma with her family because she believed New York is not really a fit Mm -hmm. place for a single mother to raise a young child. Well, the family writes her a little letter and is like, hey, you've left Mark here for long enough and it's too long and it's not good for him. So this letter is letting you know, Rue, that if you don't come and get your kid back, Rue's sister and her husband we're going to begin taking legal action to adopt the child. Hmm. Like, it's fine. Just decide what you want right. to do. But we're going to adopt him if you don't want him because yeah. it's weird around here. Because the kid here. deserves a family, yeah. So desperate again, Rue is to form a family so she wouldn't lose her son. Rue makes a hasty decision to marry the Italian. He proposed by saying, so uh, maybe want to get married someday? And Rue responded with, how about next week? Doesn't work out, though. Upon reflection in her memoirs, Rue said that being in a hurry to bring Mark to New York was not a good reason to get married. Neither is having regular orgasms. Now, Rue has an inkling that she's making a bad decision because one day she realizes that the Italian has a post-nasal drip that causes him to make snorting noises all of the time. Rue writes, it was something I hadn't paid much attention to along the way, distracted as I was by all the orgasms and all. But one day in a restaurant, she looked at the clock on the wall and started timing the snorts and realized it was one snort every 40 seconds. Wow, that is a lot of snorts. I wondered how I was going to stand it. That's 2,110 snorts a day. 14,770 snorts a week. 
770,150 snorts a year Mm -hmm. for as long as we both shall live. Mm -hmm. Yikes. That is a lot. Would somebody please pass the Valium? I think that's how the Rent song started, 365,000 minutes, right? Like, I think that was the beginning of that. Anyway, the marriage to Peter DeMeo was darker than her two previous ones. Rue had married again because she desperately wanted a family unit, and she'd been raised to believe that marriage was a necessity for happiness. Sure. She was born in the 30s in Oklahoma. Of course she was raised that way. Like... People are still raised that way. (laughs) Rue chose poorly. Uh, Peter was controlling and abusive, and he scared both Rue and her son. Hmm. She said of this marriage, to tell you the truth, I was afraid of him. Rue was not used to people who were confrontational and aggressive. She will describe Peter as very hot-tempered. But before throwing in the towel on marriage number three, Rue decides to try therapy and persuades Peter to go with her to a marriage counselor. After a few sessions, the counselor said, my favorite thing that a counselor ever says, I've only advised this once in my career, but I advise you not to stay together. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. You know that it has to be pretty terrible for your therapist to be like, oh, no. I encourage you to G-E-F-O, the faster the better. Mm Mm-hmm. But even that diagnosis from the therapist and that little bit of help was not enough to convince Rue to leave. She just couldn't reconcile herself with getting divorced for a third time, three time divorcee. Yeah. She was determined to stick it out, even though she and her son were both miserable. What happens? Her son comes through. He wins the day. She knows the marriage isn't working, but it takes her son giving her an ultimatum to file for divorce. He's 13 years old at this time. This is 1971. And Mark, her kid, says, if you stay married to him, I'm going to go to Oklahoma and live with my grandparents. I don't want any part of this. I'm out. Hard to get more clear than that. During this time, Rue's career is really taking off. She'd always worked steadily in theater, but her jobs often in theater are low-paying and short-lived, which always really leaves her nervous about her next role and her next paycheck. But the year before, 1970... Rue gets a role on NBC's daytime soap opera, Another World. This is a huge step for her because now she has a steady paycheck, puts food on the table, and pays your rent. But the other added benefit here is now all of her family in Oklahoma begin to support her career because they could see her on a show that she was on. Right, on TV instead of... When you're in theater in Erie, Pennsylvania, your family's never going to see that. Or even on, like, on Broadway, you know, like, yeah, what does that mean to people in your your family back home in Oklahoma? So things are kind of looking up. Steady paycheck, her family supports her career. After her character's arc, Evil Nanny, finishes on Another World, she's hired to play a character on the CBS soap opera, Where the Heart Is. So even though the third marriage ends, that one yeah, ends in divorce in 71, her career is going super strong and it's only going to go up, up, up from there because in 1971, Norman Lear hmm. hires her for a role on All in the Family, followed by a role in Maud in 1972. Sure. Fantastic. Huzzah! Rue is now a solidly successful television actress. But Rue... Unlucky in love. 
Lord, save me my drug is my baby I'll be using for the rest of my life, I guess. She's got to get married. It's time for number four. Right. She'll meet a man named Gus Fisher through a mutual friend. He's gregarious and fun, and the two begin dating. And fairly soon afterward, he tells her they either need to get married or need to break up. And Rue panics because I don't want to lose him. So she agrees. The couple marries in 1976. Gus Fisher is of Greek heritage. So for this marriage, Rue has a big, fat, traditional Greek wedding with all the traditions and hoopla that surround it. Once they get married, though, and all the baklava is eaten and the lamb is put away. Spanakopita. There you go. Gus Fisher. Down the hatch. (laughs) Gus Fisher wants to stop working entirely, and he goes to school to become a commercial realtor. And Rue agrees, and once he completed his training, Gus is fully immersed in that career and expected Rue to be part of his dinners and entertaining Mm. clients and colleagues. And Rue, A number one, is not interested in doing that, nor does she have the time for it because, oh, she's a professional working actress. So one time to celebrate her birthday, he combined her birthday dinner with the dinner he owed to a fellow realtor. And it becomes obvious very quickly that Rue had jumped into this marriage hastily once again. And now she's stuck married to a person that she doesn't know very well and doesn't really like. (laughs) So after two and a half years, she decides to file for divorce. But this time it gets a little bit more complicated, at least financially. How so? Rue tells an interviewer that there were a couple of buildings that Gus wanted me to invest in. I better not talk about it because I get real bitter over that one. Rue's financial advisor comes to her and says he's worried for her pension plan. And she naively asks him why. And he says that under California law, Gus had a right to half of whatever she earned while they were married. And Rue told her financial advisor that Gus wasn't that kind of person and he wouldn't take anything from her. And as you can imagine, it turned out, in fact, Gus was exactly that type of person. I was thinking narrator's voice, but he was. So after being financially stable for the first time in her adult life, the end of her fourth marriage puts an end to that stability as well. Gus Fisher and Rue McClanahan divorce in 1979. I think you mean greedy Gus Fisher. That is exactly what I meant. Now, after marriage number four, you can anticipate that Rue is a little bit more cautious before marrying again, and this time she stays single for about five years. She enjoyed her time on the show, Mama's Family, but the show was coming to an end, and now her son is going off to college, and Rue finds she has a little bit more time for herself, a little empty nesting. She used that time to catch up with some old friends. One of those friends was her high school sweetheart. Tom Keel, who had just, in fact, himself gone through his very own divorce. Old Tom is living in Dallas, and Rue flies there to meet up with him, and, oh, sparks fly. Wow, do sparks fly. Spark is still there. They decide to get married. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Before describing marriage number five in her book, Rue will write. My dear reader, whatever else you might take away from this book, please hold fast to this idea. Be careful 
careful whom you marry. Rue then goes on to write, We covered for very good reasons not to make that fateful trip down the aisle. Pregnancy, pressure, panic, and more panic. Good looks and romantic notions are nice, but not enough. There was something to love, or at least like, about each of my first five husbands. There's no such thing as an ideal man, but if I could take a few ingredients from each of the men I married and mix them in a big bowl, I might whip up an almost ideal husband pudding. (laughs) That seems right. That seems really right. Take a pint of meltingly great looks, musical talent, and humor from Tom Bish. Equal parts kindness, genius IQ, courage, and artsy quirkiness from Norman Hartweg. A soup can of high spirits from the Greek. And from my fifth husband, Tom Keel, a generous dollop of vigor and good looks, plus a gallon of gasket-blowing sex appeal. Yum. My pudding bowl runneth over. Almost. Rue and Tom will get married in their hometown of Ardmore, Oklahoma in April of 1984. And although there are many bad parts in this marriage, Rue describes his FQ, fuck quotient, (laughs) as definitely an A, with extra credit for his amazing dancing ooh-hoo. She writes, that man had a penis that would stand up straight and dance. No, really, dance. It was a sight to behold. In her book, uh, she will give a FQ sure. number to the various men. No, she is delightfully and refreshingly and bracingly candid. The couple's married for a year, and then Tom and Rue decide it's not such a good idea to be married. It turns out that once all that glitter bl- blows off, they just were not the same people that they were in high school. And it ends up that they're not very compatible at all. Although Tom Keel could have taken half of her earnings from her first year of Golden Girls, he did not. Good for him. He asked for nothing. The two part amicably. That's a nice change of pace. After she divorced her fifth husband, Rue tells People Magazine that she is officially done with the institution of marriage for good. The last one cured me. I used to be a romantic but no more. But she did marry a sixth time, right? She will, but let's take a little interlude for the Golden Girls. Okay. Because in 1985, the most successful and lucrative part of Rue McClanahan's career begins when the Golden Girls starts its phenomenally successful run on NBC. The show would last until May 1992 with a total of 180 episodes. It is still one of the most beloved ensemble casts and sitcoms of all time. Rue, of course, plays Blanche Devereaux, the sex-crazed and fabulously confident Southern Belle, and woohoo, she did it perfectly. The role of Blanche helped Rue to improve her own self-image, too. She said in her lifetime intimate portrait, Blanche was so self-confident. She thought so highly of herself. She thought she was so attractive and sexy and just unbeatable, and it kind of helped me to shed more of my shyness. Because it hit me one day, hey, you know, this woman Blanche looks just like me, and I can act just like her, so maybe it's okay for me to feel that way too. The Golden Girls, over its seven seasons, are you ready for these numbers? Nominated for 68 Primetime Emmy Awards, winning 11. Wow. 
21 Golden Globe Award nominations, winning four. Five American Comedy Awards, winning all five. Three Directors Guild of America Awards, two wins. Five Writers Guild of America Awards, winning one. Each of the four actresses, Rue McClanahan, B. Arthur, Betty White, and Estelle Getty, all won Emmy Awards. It really was just a it was incredibly good show. McClanahan, Arthur, and White all win for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, Estelle Getty for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. Now, it's no secret that in 1992, when the Golden Girls ended, it's because B. Arthur no longer wanted to do the show. And the rest of the cast tried to keep it going with a spinoff called The Golden Palace on CBS, but it didn't have the same magic, doesn't find the same audience, only lasted one season. We all remember it fondly, but since the sitcom ended, many stories in the fullness of time have come out about some animosity between the cast members. <laughs> Primarily between B. Arthur and Betty White, but apparently Rue McClanahan got her hands a little... A little dirty at times as well. The Golden Girls casting director, Joel Thurm, has done a few interviews on the subject. Most recently on the podcast, The Originals, this is back in April 2021. Joel Thurm said, literally B. Arthur, who I cast in something else later on, just said, oh, she's a fucking cunt using that word. B. Arthur called Betty White a C-word? Goldman asks in the interview. Yeah, she called her the C-word. I mean, I heard that with my own ears, Joel Thurm replies. And by the way, so did Rue McClanahan. Rue McClanahan said it to me in Joe Allen's restaurant. My childhood is being blown up here. Don't, Shattered. Don't do it. Rue McClanahan also discusses the tension between B. Arthur and Betty White and attributes it to two very different approaches and styles of acting. B came from a New York stage point of view. She always had what we call the fourth wall. And Betty came from a television point of view. She would flirt with the audience, pull up her skirt and say, hi, sailor. But B never acknowledged the audience. So, yeah, very different styles. Mm -hmm. B Arthur's son, Matthew Sachs, comments on the relationship between the ladies saying, Sometimes Betty would go out and smile and chat with the audience and literally go and make friends with the audience, which is a nice thing. A lot of them have come from all over the country and are fans. This is Matthew Sachs talking to The Hollywood Reporter. I think my mom didn't dig that. It's more about being focused or conserving your energy. It's just not the right time to talk to fans between takes. Betty was able to do it and it didn't seem to affect her, but it rubbed my mom the wrong way. So... A little bit of less gold, less gold on the Golden Girls, who apparently had some had some complications between them. Yeah, and I because she was kind of playing Betty White was kind of playing sort of an airheaded character. Maybe actually that type of like impromptu kind of interaction with strangers. Betty White is a help. delight oh, and yeah. just fun oh, and yeah. all of them anyway. But apparently, it was not all rosy and golden sure. on the set. Sure, five marriages. Five divorces. Roo, roo, roo. What happens next? Rue McClanahan says she will marry her husband number six for the right reasons. She'll she, say... She finally got her pudding. She finally got her pudding. There is such a deep love I feel for him. But she admitted that he refused to read her memoir because he doesn't want to read about my escapades with other men. 
This fellow's name is Morris Wilson, and this is Rue McClanahan's final marriage. This is by far her longest one. They got married in 1997 when Rue was 63 years old. When she was doing an interview to promote her book, she said of Maura Wilson, this is my last marriage. This man is a keeper. And she was right. Her marriage to Maura Wilson would be her last one. However, they were legally separated at the time of her death in June 2010, but they had been married 12 years to that point. The couple did seem very much in love and very happy together for the majority of their marriage. However, Rue was struggling with some severe anxiety issues towards the end of her life, which may have been a contributing factor to the couple filing for that separation. For his part, Maura Wilson maintains that Rue McClanahan was the love of his life, even after their separation and her death. He said in one interview, I've never loved anyone the way I loved Rue. In a different interview, he said, Thank God for videotape and that those reruns are going to go on for the rest of our lives for sure. She'll always be with us in that way. Rue McClanahan will die of a massive stroke on June the 3rd, 2010, at the age of 76 years old. She suffered a minor stroke earlier that year after having bypass surgery. Her manager, Barbara Lawrence, said Rue had her family with her and she went in peace. Back in her memoir, Rue wrote, I used to say I wanted to die on stage after the curtain goes down on a play that I'm in. Now I think I'd be just as pleased to check out right here in the garden. Her wish was somewhat granted when she passed away while looking out at her garden after she had just planted new springtime plants. Hmm. It's kind of nice. As for her professional legacy, Rue can still be seen on television and streaming services. The Golden Girls is still popular 40 years nearly after it aired. Mm -hmm. Rue McClanahan is still very much alive and entertaining audiences through her legendary portrayal of the lovable and saucy Southern Belle, Blanche Devereaux. Classic character. Don't blame me. Love made me crazy. If it (laughs) doesn't, you ain't doing it right. Rue McClanahan, six marriages, five divorces. Welcome to the Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame. We are honored to have you, truly. Rue McClanahan makes the Hall of Fame better. She makes it golden. I don't know how many trash cans she gets, but they're all golden. Saucy broad. But I'm not from Atlanta. (laughs) Good Lord, I love her. So, so much. A a trash can full of pudding. (laughs) Almost ideal husband pudding. God, what a story. Love that one. Thank you, everybody. We will be back Wednesday with another trashy breakup. Until we meet again on Wednesday, friends, keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy, friends. And golden, and so golden too, pony boy. Y'all, we love you so much. Have a tremendous beginning of the week. Can't wait to talk to you soon. And thanks again for tuning in. Keep it trashy, friends. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. 
Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.